0: If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash
3: host. What do you think, Steve? I'm sure we both have our stories. <laughs> what do you think? no, I was like, oh, is this shit going to happen all night? Like, are we going to have to? Why are they doing this?
1: This week, a double bill. Donna DeLore.
3: My dad
4: was one of those people, unfortunately, that just didn't get a good deal and and was,
3: was so instrumental in these huge, huge records.
1: And Nikki Harris.
3: If anything, my applause yearning came from being the youngest in the family where I was like, I'm not getting a small piece of the chicken.
1: So, of course, they're going to talk about Madonna.
3: I looked down and there was this, like, little person. I didn't really know what Madonna looked like. Is that Madonna? The first uh, tour, was Donna and I and another girl. After that, it was just me and Donna. We only literally had five days before we were going to be on stage in Japan. I can't cut my hair off. We're not shaving our our heads. Donna and I were like.
1: And stay tuned for Donna Delori and Nikki Harris. (laughs) Donna Delori and Nikki Harris, welcome. Do you know it is 30 years 1993 that I think was the girly show where we did that little interview for MTV and I was watching it today Oh, that's right and I'm thinking why have I got old and you two haven't
3: you haven't gotten old. what are you
1: talking
3: oh, about I, you no, haven't
1: I've gone red Look, there's some
3: gray here there's some grays here look at this yeah mine is definitely yeah. mine is definitely you know in a pile of flour in my head so we're, good. Know, but we're you, good. You two, look, you two mm-hmm. look
1: good. First of all, Donna, maybe I can start with you. Well, you're both from very musical families um, and uh, and brought up around music, I presume. And Donna, your father, Al Delori, of course, mm-hmm. was a very famous and successful um, musician. Can you tell me a, a little bit about your family life in terms of music, what you were surrounded by? Wow. Well,
4: I... I remember my parents divorced when I was pretty young, but but I just remember this old upright piano that was always in our house that my dad used to play and do arrangements on, and I used to sit next to him at the piano. And then when my parents divorced, my dad was doing more—he uh, was producing, but doing a lot more like movie soundtracks and things. So I just I always remember him, you know, either composing, being at the piano writing music, or being in the studio, which was super fun to be with him. And all the artists and musicians and things. And then I started, as a kid, I started jumping in and singing on a lot of his sessions and singing backgrounds and things.
1: He worked with Just some very famous musicians. Fun. Were were famous people around your house? Was it sort of commonplace to have well known people or well known mus- musicians at home?
4: A lot of a lot of songwriters. You know, I went to my dad's on the his house on the weekend. So there'd be, you know, I just remember Karen Black. Do you guys remember Karen Black, the actress? Mm-hmm. She used to like lay on our couch and watch movies. I remember that. Um, and, and just songwriters that were around, you know? I mean, my dad, you know, he worked with a lot of different people like Jimmy Webb and, you know, all kinds of people. Um, but, but it was more when he was doing, he was arranging for Paul Williams, you know, for his concert, my dad would do string arrangements and be at like the Universal Amphitheater when it was outside, I remember that very well. Um, and then going to him, going with him to movie dates and string dates. when we moved to Nashville when I was sixteen, he was doing a lot of string arrangements on a lot of country records. So that was super fun to be around those artists.
1: So Nikki, for you, your father was a jazz musician. So you were also brought up around music. how was how was that for you? Was there sort of a, a creative atmosphere at home all the time? Or was it something detached?
3: Um. Well, I guess time is all relative. So it was always creative when he was around, and it just was a creative family. In that, uh, we you know either was church, so I was always in the choir, or you know when he was around, we you know or, or I was on the road with him, and we go, you know, and be, it'd be all these jazz singers, Nancy Wilson, Sarah Vaughn, um, you know, just uh, really but just jazz bass. so that was that was my my intro into music as far as that and as well as as well as you know gospel music so when he wasn't in town we were in church and when he was in town or i should say i was in church not my entire family i shouldn't say that cuz you know i'm i'm from a let's say economically different kind of an energy so uh you know it was the 60s and the 70s and there was a lot going on in our culture that was quite uh, challenging to put it that way. And so church was my savior, gymnastics was my savior. And then when my dad came in town, I remember like, you know, him doing shows at Caesars Palace for, you know, with for, uh, Flip Wilson, if anybody remembers Flip Wilson. So that kind of stuff. So of course, you know, you know all that, yeah. was, uh, it was, you know, Joe Sample, like all the, more on the, like I said, on the jazz side of things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so my dad was uh, wonderful, but it was definitely challenging to have him you know, really well loved in our town. And I was like, always thinking to myself, well, if he's such a great guy, why isn't he here all the time? Because that's what all other dads were around. Um, But I was so grateful when he was there. So, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely a, a push and pull with like what you feel. Cause part of you is like yearning as a child for your father, but you know that they're living their dream. But as a, a child, I'm like, well, Dad, I go, I'm dead. I'm supposed to be your dream. Why you brought me here, you know, kind of thing. So. Had a lot of uh, stuff that I had to clean up before he left this side of the earth, for sure.
1: Nearly all successful uh, musicians, singers, people who are in, let's say, in this wider context show business, they have drive, and it comes from often a childhood wound. I just wonder then, Nikki, when you say something like that your father was absent, do you feel that may have actually been the thing that triggered... The drive for you to be successful in your life.
3: Hmm. I mean, here's the deal. I I hear that story a lot. Of I. I don't. I think that I don't have drive. So that I never dreamed of being a, a a pop star or any of that. None of that because I wasn't around pop music. I didn't have that kind of a dream. It was more. Get out of these economic circumstances, get out of this kind of, you know, drugs and and crime. And that was more of my drive to move. And it wasn't, it was never about, I had to, you know, it wasn't about applause at that, at that moment. If anything, my applause yearning came from being the youngest in the family where I was like, I'm not getting a small piece of the chicken. I'm, you know, I'm gonna keep everybody laughing. I was, that was definitely more of my dance that I was doing psychologically. So I don't, I don't know, I know many artists who, it's not so much about their family stuff, it's much more for, for me that I see with my friends. It's so much more about what's society, what's going on in society Was I know more musicians who just play because they want to play. Not so much they need a bunch of this, you know. I don't know a lot of those. I've met them more as I've moved to Los Angeles. I met more of those type of musicians where they maybe it's because they were around the business. I just know musicians who, I grew up with musicians who just wanted to play. You know, it wasn't so much of of something that you were driving or had an agenda about where it was going to take you. I didn't have that.
1: I mean, Donna, Nikki's just sort of intimated that because she was from a very... Um, let's call it underprivileged background or, you know, a poor background and where a lot of drugs and uh, you said that, you know, that a lot of difficult things were around you and intimated that that was different to you, Donna. So where do you feel that maybe your drive came from if it was based in some sort of childhood event?
4: I can let you know that I did come from, you know, my dad ended up being a producer on Capitol records and Unfortunately, at that time, my dad didn't get royalties on all these records he produced for Glen Campbell. So my dad was one of those people that just had a bad, had bad advice, bad contracts. Well, when he was a staff producer at Capitol, he was getting paid. But as soon as he left to be an independent producer, and he made a deal with Glen Campbell that they were going to go together, uh, Glen kind of turned his back on my dad, unfortunately. And that was kind of the story I grew up with the artist turned his back and then we kind of like went down and and started losing things because my dad wasn't getting that payment from Capitol Records anymore. My dad just took that leap of faith. Unfortunately, he didn't have all those royalties. So when we moved to Nashville, it's so funny because we were living in a tiny apartment and everyone just treated me like I was, "Oh, Eldelore's daughter, you know, you're you guys must be so well off." But they didn't know, you know, my dad was one of those people unfortunately that just Didn't get a good deal and and was was so instrumental in these huge, huge records. And over the years, you know, we've tried to go back to the record company and fight for those royalties and everything. And it didn't happen. But growing up with that story, I think it it did. It made an impression on me about the business for sure. I watched my dad struggle in the business. And, um, you know, and that's why my dad was so proud of me when I ended up, you know, being able to make a living and being a singer and everything. And he just, he just wanted so bad for me to be able to be able to get a good deal.
3: And, and I be think able that's, to get that's my there's the, yeah, there's the similarity see? for me, Steve, is that I think our dads, we were, we're lucky enough to have our dads really see us have some success. And so I remember going from giant stadium down to the blue note and playing with my dad and him just, you know, when people would say, Oh, you must be so proud of her. He, he would say, no, she did this on her own. She did this. I didn't have anything to do with it. But because of the influence of the jazz musicians, I have a jazz career now because those musicians respect me because of the years that I did do that and was simultaneously working with him. So they still consider me as a jazz artist as well. So you know, no, I didn't get the money, and just like you, my dad ended up going to Idaho, and you know, because the deal was so bad at Blue Note that he just like they found him in a hotel, you know, playing in a, in the, the lobby, and it was it was um Ella Fitzgerald's ex husband, you know, Ray Brown on base, who said, "No, you're coming out of there," and he ended up being taking Count Basie's place in the Count Basie Big Band and doing these albums with Ray Charles. But that was at the very end of his life, you know? And, you know, but he stru- struggled a lot. However, because of the influence, like you said, because of the, the community that, like songwriters are a community, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Jazz musicians are a community. So they really embrace, when I, I can say his name today with jazz musicians, they're like, is that your Eugene Harris's daughter? Boom. It doesn't, it's not about whether he was successful or not. And that same with Al Delore. I think you say his name to certain people and it's like, that's a community. You you're embraced right then. And that's, what's beautiful about it. It's not, it's not just about the resume. It's about what they contributed to the art. Form. It's, yeah,
4: exactly. That's how I feel. And I, I'm always, I'm just so proud of my dad. I was in a tea house just now um, a couple of days ago in, in Asheville, North Carolina, this real trendy. It was a beautiful little tea house. And all of a sudden, one of the records my dad produced came on the playlist. It was like Wichita Lineman. And I was like, hi, dad. You know, it's like a little moment, a little message from my dad and just listening to that, the string arrangement. I was thinking, wow, how emotionally I reacted to hearing that because that's what I heard when I was a kid, you know, Mm -hmm. and that it's like, he, I feel like my dad just, showed me the beauty of music and um i'm just so thankful for that so now whenever i'm i i can't play music or sing without thinking of my dad being there and just being so proud and just sharing that we had that to share together is so special and i know nikki had that as well with her father
3: yeah i just got back to new orleans yeah and i literally walked in it was all christmas shopping down in new orleans and literally walked Mm -hmm. into this uh liza jane liza Jane, it's called and there was a little trio Mm -hmm. in the corner and they were playing you know sweet lorraine and i was and i was like oh that's one of my dad's favorites you know and i was like and walked past him and i could just tell what he was doing with his left hand that he had clearly studied my father and i was just thank you thank you guys for playing that i love that song and he goes and i was like my dad's gene harris and he's like oh i loved him so much i'm so influenced by him that and like and you and this is a man who's got to be at least 15 years older than me so he influenced him so much before i was even around you know so you never know and i know one day my mm-hmm. daughter could care less what i've done with my music i know one day she's meeting people or your kids are going to meet people who they like oh you don't know what your what your mom meant to me and cuz i we get we get the emails from people you know 50 years ago 30 years ago are you you know I came out with you guys and you mean so much to me and right now my daughter is like starting to kind of learn a little bit that her mom is in the history books like Donna's you know it's like and you just never know who you're touching
1: I always feel like if, if you have very successful par- parents it can be harder to create a success. Of your own life. I mean, I haven't got successful parents, so I don't know on a personal. But I do know from friends who have felt a little bit in the shadow of their parents. But you obviously haven't.
3: I think it's also called redefining what success is. So if you have parents Mm -hmm. who, you know, that's the that's the great thing. Is like we come from musicians beyond anything. Her father to the end, your father and my to the end were pianists. At the end of the day, yeah. they were absolute penis. and they like, wanted to literally play the to the- like the day, right before they died. They were
4: my dad was playing like a key, just jamming in the key of A minor. You know, it's just like yeah. okay, yeah.
3: cool, yeah. That's that was the, that was their <laughs> love light. That's the thing that you know that yeah. made them breathe. And so, I think when you live your life in that kind of an art form and decide that that's what is really your breath of life, it's not about all the time, financial success. So I never felt in the shadow. If anything, I felt like there's no way I'm going to try to be a piano player because my dad was so good. Maybe that part, that was a shadow I may have been in. And that I, I was like, I'm, I'm never going to play as I good felt, as I, I felt, I felt never the same
4: play. way. I started taking piano as a kid and I didn't keep, I mean, my dad just like blew me away right yeah i I felt that same way nikki i mean i i would sit down and write my little songs on the piano but my dad would say you should learn more chords and theory and everything and i i don't know i just kind of rebelled
3: against it i'm like dad i like my little chords (laughs) you know and i remember always thinking he my dad would say to me especially as I was singing more jazz he's like you gotta learn how to play for yourself and I was like the songs I sing have too many like you know adult chord changes in them and I'm like I can't, I'm, I'm just gonna hire somebody who plays really great I, dad I can't do this and he's like no you know and start t- turning me on to different singers who play a little simpler that it's important and it open up how I would sing he would say he'd say to me you gotta learn how to well I agree yourself yeah but you can play you know, upright bass. You can. <laughs> so, oh, don't you tell that story, young lady. Um, yeah. I, I saw <laughs> I Nikki again, pick up an upright bass. You, and she did. My main thing is like, I'll go back to, I don't, I never felt in the shadow of my father's success. Sometimes I have my shadow was the talent i wanted i want to be excellent like he was i want that that's the shadow for me is like that's the alluring thing i'm chasing if i'm chasing anything because the good news is that i think don and i also come from a generation which was much more spiritual based so the the fact that i Mm
4: -hmm.
3: we know that Even with the lovely music that we do, it's not my source. My source is so much deeper than even my music. I swear I know that about me. It's like, it's in my breath. It's how I choose to live. It's in the food I eat. It's in so many other things. So, and that's a story that my father didn't have because my father came up through segregation. And so his story was a lot more different. So the way he approached and walked through his life was a lot different. You know, and we just have a different story to tell. I'm grateful for the part that he gave me. However, I'm even more grateful that I come from this, this section of the book, that we get to talk about what we do from a place of of knowing, of knowing. And I know that what I do is not who I am. I know that. Nikki, I know
4: I want to ask you something. I wanted to ask you, it just came to my mind that I remember one time, like as an adult sitting, like after having sung with my dad a lot, you know, one time he came into town and we were singing from a songbook, And at one point he, he turned around and he said, you know what, you really are a great singer, Donna. Mm-hmm. You know, and that like he was recognizing that I also was a musician. And then that right. was, you know, I may not have played like him, but acknowledging that was huge, and huge. and sometimes you know he would acknowledge it and not say it. But I just remember those words of my dad saying, "You know what? You really are, you really have a fantastic voice, and you really have such a great talent."
3: Mm-hmm. You know and
4: that was different from when I was a teenager trying to prove to him that I could like sing his songs and sing on his sessions and stuff. But later, it was so
3: beautiful to have them seeing us
4: become artists, right? And, and, and maybe Donna, maybe we're, our, maybe we're
3: having our side, maybe we're having a little uh, you know, therapist moment right now. Maybe what Steve was talking about that because that was our father's, that place of, of, of you know, creating was our father's joy that as their child, as their offspring, we understood to get in that light that lights them up, we needed to come through that part of the light for them. So in that respect, yes, Steve, you are correct. Some of our drive, I would try to find Uh another word, but some of our, you know, motivation is uh, is definitely, yeah, yeah, motivation is, is definitely was for a while was centered in really wanting and loving the idea of our fathers accepting us. Cause like I did my father's last four record with him and I knew by the last one, he, he loved playing with me. He, We loved, you know, I loved his playing so much so that when he passed, I had to get a female because I could not even look over at the pianist unless it was a you know girl because it would remind me of my father too much. So, and I knew that that was something I was never going to have like, happen again, you know, looking over there and seeing my dad playing, you know, you know, all those moments. When you start thinking of like what natalie did with her father natalie cole like that that you could put your voice together with your father i know how beautiful is and that i wish concept
4: nikki i mean you're so lucky you did those records with your dad i'm ki- you know i kick myself that i didn't spend more time in nashville and get my dad was making latin jazz music and had a band and was constantly inspired and he would go out and do all these club gigs and get on the road in in the van with the band when he was like in his 70s um, that I didn't go there more and collaborate with him and and do a record just with him, you know, or just Look, when, and when I moved I out You always say you want to do a Spanish,
3: you want to do a Spanish song, I you would have learned all those, that music. I'm like, that's a whole nother- Exactly, I, I have <laughs> all the charts. Nikki, I
4: have all his band charts. I'm just saying, yeah. we could learn. Great a lesson arrangements. I think yeah. what's amazing you what go. you said,
1: Donna, is about acknowledgement and having um, a parent acknowledge you and maybe that's the core of what I didn't have because my father went on his deathbed um I said I love you dad and Mm. he said I love you too I always have and it was the first time I could remember that I said I love you not only him and it was the most moving moment so that was and that was an acknowledgement because people don't lie on their deathbeds you know what i mean they're no, they. Right. well you hope
3: you hope they don't
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we hope they don't <laughs> no exactly depends
4: on how much they're hanging on to yeah yeah,
3: yeah. and how much beautiful for
1: you yeah but i want to get onto something else because when i was 13 i remember watching um i think it was top of the pops or something which nikki will know very well which you we both know probably and um david bowie um was on top of the pops and for me He was an identification figure, because as a young gay teenager, there is this flamboyant, at the time, openly bisexual. Later, he said he wasn't, but it didn't really matter. It was just this identification figure for me, which said, you know what? This small village isn't for you. There is an outside world where people will understand you and where you'll be accepted. And I just wondered for both of you, and maybe, Nikki, you can start, um, were there identification figures for you because as a person of color, uh, you know, an African American in, in America. It's it was an era where there weren't many identification figures on TV or around.
3: I mean, you know, I'm your you know sixty ish you know uh, black American woman who yeah grew up on with TV, you know. So my if I was identifying with as far as somebody the way somebody looked and you know what they were doing as far as the in- entertainment business, obviously Diana Ross was, you know, like the first time I saw her on television on the Ed Sullivan show, was just like, you know, first of all, to all the kids out there, Ed Sullivan, that's a TV show. A ver- it's called a variety show, you know? So we grew up in variety I'm gonna get shows. get my dogs. Uh-huh. Grew up with variety shows. Um, you know, Diana Ross, quite frankly, Diane Carroll. Diane Carroll was huge for me. Julia, watching Julia on a, on a series, was huge for me.
1: Um, it's funny and, you say it, Diane Carroll because everyone, everyone, always says Diane Carroll. There's something about her, and it was her innate beauty and in class. I think as well that sort of carried uh, this over, and it, it also and gave- it,
3: it's like Sydney. It's like Sydney, where it's just like okay, it's undeniable. She's one of those where it's just it's like. Okay, what do you do? You just throw your you throw it down. And d- mic drop. She's one of those mic drop people, you know. Like like Lena, you know. I mean, Lena was you know obviously older, you know. But for me, when I started, you know, the, the Dorothy is all that kind of stuff what, for me. But that's still all entertainment. What you know, even the local you know newscaster in my you know out of Chicago was you know huge for me. Like that was, and comics mom's maybe you know like just being funny was was huge for me musically speaking in my small small town my heroes were the the kind of hip poets and the hip like you know they were pots they were potheads and they hung out near the jazz musicians but those were kind of my heroes as far as they weren't hookers and drug dealers they were just like the they were still potheads <laughs> they did like their weed <laughs>
1: Who were the identification figures for you then, Donna?
4: My sister started singing before me. My sister was eight years older. She started singing professionally, you know? Um, so she sang on one of the Carpenters records. So I was just thinking about like the early, we had in our hallway, there was like this nook and we had just a few albums and most of them were song, were either ones that my sister sang on or my dad had worked on. So it'd be like Herb Alpert, one of his records. Uh, the Phil Spector stuff, like the Crystals, the Ronettes. You know, so all this stuff that he had done, at the Beach Boys, Pet Sounds. These were like these records, the music that I love so much. I mean, Linda Ronstadt was just, I loved her so much. You know, but because I had an older sister, everything she listened to, even like Manhattan Transfer, we got really into, Bette Midler. You know, that was her record collection. So I... I, I loved, you know, my TV shows, variety shows, share, you know, I loved to watch performers, women that could, um, be funny and, you know, someone like Cher, be more of like an actress. And I think, I think when I was thinking about doing this in my life, I thought more along those lines, um, of being a performer, but I was really, really shy. And, um, and I loved, I mean, it was just all the singers that were popular at that time. Um, you know, I wasn't, I didn't really get into R&B until later. Uh, I got into dance music next because my brother is a year older and he was always a dancer. So we would start getting into disco dancing and go to going to the clubs, early hip hop um, and getting into, uh, you know, a lot of the dance artists at that time. and. Um, later on discovered, got more into R&B music. Probably when I was out on my own back in LA and a a record producer and writer, Brian Elliott, who wrote Papa Don't Preach, he would hire me on his demos. He'd say, you know what? You need to sit down and spend a lot of time listening to Etta James. And you need to sing along with those records. He's like, this would be so good for you as a singer. And and I started listening to a lot of Aretha and, and Etta James and um, he was right. You know, that was something I didn't get so much growing up
3: to listen to those kind of singers. So it was really important. I would be remiss if I did not bring up, and I think for both of us, when you mentioned share, you and I still refer to the two of them is Tina, Tina Turner. Yeah, would still, yes. I would be extremely yeah. remiss if I didn't say that she was an influence. I mean, you know, because as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned, that's, that's all that, the Beyonce's and all that that's just the Tina Turner of their this era to me, you know, that's what I see. You know, it's just, it's yeah, the flipping it's... of the hair, and all that I was like, oh, we can do all that. Whereas Diana was more tight and clean and pretty. Tina actually mm-hmm. used the entire physicality of her. And I did enjoy that as many did, <laughs> as thousands did.
1: So I want to get onto your careers today, but I've got to go through, mm-hmm. you know, the big M <laughs> uh, and Donna. Oh, yeah. you- um your connection to madonna came through um a boyfriend gardner cole can you tell me how that connection came about
4: well gardner was an also an artist on warner brothers and he had a Bennett. i think bennett freed i just remember that that name his (laughs) manager was like in with the warner brothers executives and everything so He was he was doing his album. He wrote a song called "Open Your" Peter Rafelson, and they put their voices on it. I guess I'm not sure which one did, but they gave it to Warner Brothers through the manager to go to like, you know, Michael Austin or whoever was. They went to and they turned the song down uh, because they got it to Madonna. I guess turned the song down, then came back and then asked me to sing the demo, and we kind of worked on the song some more. One uh, of the studio here in the valley in San Fernando Valley and You know at, at that point I remember singing it and how I mean it was such a good song I knew it was I knew it was a hit, you know, but at that time You know, there was so a few months between when she actually recorded the song took the song and recorded it so I would have it on my little cassette tape my demo tape that I would go and hang out in studios and trying to get a, my own record deal and everything and then I, I found out that she took the song and was going to record it. So I was, this,
1: this was open really your heart.
4: happy for him. It was open your heart. I was happy for him. And then he later on was like, that was the best $50 I ever spent.
1: Now don't go away. All I want to tell you is please subscribe. Then you'll hear about the podcasts as they go online. So stay with us. There's more coming up with Donna DeLore and Nikki Harris on Madonna and much more
4: i used to sing along you know when her songs would come on the radio and i knew you know we had a the sound of our voices i think you know nikki this is so funny because i know her and i both sing along as we all did probably with early michael jackson records and really influenced by uh, that was
3: Hold on a second. You Sorry. and I must make it on equal. Yeah, wow. I know. We must make. <gasps> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the difference in when you let go of the Michael Jackson records and go to the Aretha records. It's a whole nother way of singing.
1: <laughs> but uh,
3: huh? It's true. It's like it's it's, it's you know you anyway. It's, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. But you know, like, Ben, the
4: two of us need no more. I mean, all those records, like sing, I sing along with Michael Jackson when like so much as a kid and how much that could have influenced my voice, you know? And I thought I was, I'm reading this book called Rebel Life that's written about Madonna's story and talking about how much she loved that as well and just influences and everything. So our, I knew my voice had a similar sound. So people were of course hiring me to do all these demos
3: to try to get to her. Michael and the brothers are from Gary. And that's like 15 minutes from where I grew up. And really Michael was always trying to be like James Brown. If you look at any of the early stuff that, that was just really funny. But because of his influence, it wasn't Michael, it was Diana Ross who influenced Michael to teach, sing very pop-like. Cause she that was her sound. Yes. That was the Motown sound. And he was not, he always, well, that's what was so cool about him when he was young, young, all that, you know. Almost down was always trying to sing like James Brown. He wanted to sing real fuck. And then he, she's the one who made him slow down and just. Do the melody like your know, baby, right. love is always all right here. Whereas he, you see any of his audition tapes when he first came to Motown, it was all James Brown. That's all he wanted to sound like. That's incredible. So, yeah. And it's because she had what was considered the pop sound, you know, for music in the 60s and the early 70s. It's like, if you want to pop, have your song go platinum, get that kind of. And it continues today if you think about it. Oh, it, it's, yeah. it's all, Yeah. It's be there. Yeah. All, the, all the pop. Putting music. it in the and, and it's really, really rare that, and you know, you start thinking of it for the mid 70s is when it's stuff started, the altos, you could start hearing more altos in pop music altos were considered more Uh saxophony sounding. It's much more of a jazz kind of warmer sound, whereas pop was always nasally think, you know, it's the difference between a soprano sax and a a tenor sound, yeah. And like the records
4: early on, I was listening Be My Little Baby, you know, all that. that, that, You're right, Mm -hmm. that's at yeah, the 60s. Yeah, that's so Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. But that demo got to I guess Pat Leonard had heard it and then Pat was working with Gardner. So then they had me come over and, and sing some of their other songs they were writing together. And Pat just said, I love your voice. You know, will you come over and just hang out and sing on records and everything. So that was like a huge thing for me to have more of a regular gig where I was working in the business. And I, I had like three jobs at the time and doing like running around, doing all those demos was crazy. Um, so, that was a big break he started working with Madonna and I just kept bugging him saying I wanted to get on that tour and he could he help me was there a place for me and then he was like no they were she already hired people and then I got a, a call last minute to come audition
1: and so did you indul- was, audition with you know in front of Madonna for Madonna
4: I did yeah and yeah. what
1: was, okay, just tell me about that experience and what was your impression of her? Because you must have had a previous impression of, you know, obviously she was, you know, a mighty star at that point, even.
4: Yeah, I was with all these students, you know, a lot of background singers were there, like pe- women who sang with James Taylor and Pat Benatar. You know, they were all there. And we we're going up in groups um, and I didn't see Madonna in there because I was thinking, like, long, you know, big blonde hair and everything, like the material girl video. And I looked down and there was this, like, little person with a suit on and really short hair and little glasses. And I was like, Is that Madonna? And then all of a sudden she starts saying, Let's get going, you know, and I heard her voice. So uh, come on, let's start and got just got people down in groups. And, and luckily, Pat Leonard stopped us when we were singing in our group because we weren't sounding that great. And he asked Madonna and I to sing the bridge to La Isla together. And it was, I mean, I just remember like, wow, you know, singing with her for the first time. We, our voices did sound great together, but she didn't think I was singing. And she was saying like, why aren't you singing? And then Pat, and I was kind of speechless. Uh, Pat said, well, she was, you know, you guys blend perfectly
3: had never heard of her it was a totally different world for me i did do demos but i was doing commercials and stuff like that but make and basically Mm -hmm. i was still in the place where music was you know it was just a way to make a living it wasn't necessarily i wasn't really pursuing a career in, in music but i was working a lot so i'd work with a lot of like you know david sanborn patrice russian but my main if I don't, wasn't doing anything else, I could always go back and do the righteous brothers, you know, I'd done Anita Baker. I'd done, I just, and it, I was still, was. I had no plan. Let's put it that way. It was just no plan. And I was in Vegas mm. and Bill Medley got a call from Freddie demand saying they needed somebody who could sing and dance. And I had done tons of Disney stuff. So I was a very, very quick study. And, um, Basically, I'd, it was, I think it was, we had been off the road with Anita and Anita Baker's musical director, Bobby Lyle said, they're looking for you or someone like you. I'm going to pick you up from the airport. Basically, and he picked me up from the airport. I went there still having the job with the Righteous Brothers in Vegas. And I just knew I had a show, a seven o'clock show, got there and it was like 200 girls. And I knew I had a week to learn 17 songs. And I had to fit the costumes. So in the car, little cassette tape, I'm learning these songs on the way to the gig. I mean on the way to the audition. And I just knew I didn't have any time. So I went up and I was like, I gotta go first. I don't know what all these people I got I, I got a job, you know. And I was talking to Debbie Mazar, thinking it was talking to Madonna. Because mm-hmm. I didn't really know what Madonna looked like. And she's like, Oh that's not me. And she goes, You gotta go over there, and da-da-da-da-da. So from then on, like they had me sing with Donna and Deborah. And I think I danced a little bit, but not much. I think once we sang together and I saw, she, she, we looked, Debbie's, they saw I could wear the costumes. It was like, okay, we're done. Let's go. Because we only literally had five days before we were going to be on stage in Japan.
1: So what was your impression of each other at that moment? Because I well, you know, I
3: knew, I knew Deborah. I knew the other singer. And I also knew the singer that I was replacing. So I knew, I knew how they sang. So I knew, I knew, we sang together all the time. I knew if I could sing with them, we could do this. I did not know Donna. Donna and I had a real connection on that tour. And I think it was because we danced. We were dancers and we liked to dance. We are performers. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Deborah was I mean, really a great loved- singer, but not really a, the dancer per se. Where she, where she and I enjoyed dance classes. We enjoyed all that stuff. Sweating all night long on, in the clubs. Those are things that, you know, made us happy. So we got we yeah. got a good connection from that tour.
1: Was it a shock to suddenly be in this Madonna world? You know what I mean. Like you know, you're in, you said you, five days later you go to Japan. There's it's it's a circus in a way. It's a massive well. I don't mean that negative. I mean possibly positive. It's a worldwide circus where the media is spotlight is on everything to do with. Madonna. So I just wondered how difficult that was at first to get used to.
4: I remember Nikki, when we, we arrived in Japan and I remember walking down, like when we got off the plane and we're walking down this long hallway and there are all these Japanese schoolgirls and photographers. And I remember Mm -hmm. seeing them there and just looking at all the Japanese schoolgirls and wow. You know, but then all as we started walking and moving forward, and I believe we were behind Madonna, the photographers start coming like at us and towards us. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just I definitely remember Deborah, Deborah. There were like didn't some, like you know, there was some some tears going on there. I mean, we were kind of mm-hmm. scared. Like we mm-hmm. hadn't never dealt with any energy like that. We didn't know how much they were gonna come towards us. And you know, Madonna's just walking, you know, with her people, and we're just like
3: ah. You know, I'll be really honest with you. For me, it never, the pop, like even seeing the stage being built, I was like, this is cool. But I'd done a lot of productions up into that point. So production was not anything that was like, "Ooh, I'm so, you know, impressed. I mean, I it was being on stage the first time we were in Japan and the breath of the people in the stadium. Mm-hmm. That for me was more of like, Oh yeah, this is di- I was like, oh yeah, this is different than, uh, than an R and B show. This is different, even than a Vegas show. This is different than a Disney thing, you know. And Disney productions can get very, very grand with a lot of moving parts. Um, it was that doing that show, like I said, the whole oh this is dangerous, you know, the the moving parts on the stage, that kind of stuff. Where I was like, do we know what's going? A lot of times we we're moving in the dark. Whereas stuff like that, we were outside too. a lot of times that stuff really didn't happen so much in the corporate big production, not then, but but where they're tearing it down every night and you're going to another city. That was what was weird. I was like, is all these screws in tight? Is everybody going to be, you know, the mini blinds coming on us with the wind. I was like, did anybody check this first? Did anybody check the conveyor belt, make sure we're okay? Um, That's when I started. And, and then not going to the hotel and hearing people, I was like, oh, is this shit going to happen all night? Like, are we going to have to, why are they doing this? Like, we're going to be, they got the ticket. Wait, you know, I didn't get that part of the pop stardom stuff. Yeah. And that was what was like, okay, this is different. Like usually, that was what you heard from, like the Beatles and the boys. Like Michael, I got people were like Michael Jackson was the one person I knew that people were still doing that kind of stuff for. I'm like, they're out here, like boys and girls are out here screaming for this girl, for this woman to sing. You know, all right, let's do this. Um, yeah, we didn't. That know was who odd to me. Audience
4: was. Yeah, no, I had no idea. We'd be. I remember being on the tour bus at the end of the show. You know, we run and wait on the tour bus for everyone to get on the tour bus in Japan. And I remember Shabadoo was like, look, you know, and we had to try to get out of there before the mobs of people got out of the stadium that would possibly like surround our bus. Like we had right. to get out of there. And he's like, they're coming, they're coming. And we'd watch these people, you know, flowing out of the stadium and then we'd get
3: out. Yeah. yeah and and for me, all- Shabadoo was the pop star. For me, that, that was my pop star. That's who definitely, yeah. From Soul Train and from the breaking movies. I was like, I'm like, How come they're not coming after him? Like I'm like, oh well this is why, okay. You know.
1: Tell me about Madonna's work ethic.
3: (laughs) Where do we begin? I mean because she's I've never I could just
4: say I've I've never worked with anyone that worked that hard. Ever. And 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 with the getting up in the morning and training and working out and than doing yeah. the, well, that's the closest I mean, the thing. That's how you know
3: she always wanted she to be a it. dancer. Yeah, I knew she always wanted to be a dancer yeah. because that's the only people I know who work that hard or, or that disciplined, mm-hmm. I should say. Because that was the thing was like when I saw doing mm-hmm. the broth soup, I was like, She's doing all this just to sing some songs. Like, why are we like I thought this this is I can do this in my sleep. It wasn't like we were doing arias and stuff. Like I know, you know, opera singers who are very, very particular about what they take, but she was so particular about the type of spice she would have in the broth soup. No bread, no dairy. Da-da. And that's what, the first time I had even heard of singers who do that. No dairy, no da 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 I want to be this kind of diet. I was like, what? What's going on with all this? That's when it was like, oh, she's an athlete.
4: And she yeah. used to try to tell us, you know, you guys got to, yeah, we are athletes and you have to train for this. And I remember in rehearsals, there'd be like a life cycle there. Mm-hmm. And we'd get on or a Stairmaster or something. And we would, I remember getting on there and, and riding the bike and singing at the same time to try to get the stamina to when you're breathing really hard to be able to still sing. Right.
3: She's one of the first singers that I know or just female performers, female performers in general, that I remember going to myself, okay, that, this is what sets her above, apart from the other ones to me. 'Cause you know, I had done Whitney's, I had done Whitney's first couple of records and I was like, I never thought of her as an athlete. <laughs> I was like, she's a great, amazing singer. <laughs> but I never thought yeah. of her as an athlete. Um maybe, you know, maybe that it was when the, the changed from the so much more dancing came in. And that's why Janet and Paula that like they brought that whole like you gotta be in shape, the almost cheerleader kind of energy mm-hmm. to it. Whereas Madonna took yeah. it a whole nother other level. is like, okay, the body's gotta be impeccable. The, you know, every every everything was at the highest level. That was the thing that was different for me. And after doing Anita, it was like, great singer, never, never thought of her as an athlete. Aretha never thought of her as an athlete. You know, like that was she changed the game for singers for me as far as that kind of stuff. Cause I think Michael made Madonna that's what Madonna wanted to be like Michael, as far as I'm concerned. She wanted his management, uh-huh, she wanted uh-huh. all if that I want that kind of career. But Madonna made Janet step her game up, made all these other artists step their game up. Cause she's like, okay, well this is how we're doing it. If they can do it, we can do it. You know, and we happen to be, Definitely. Donna and I happen to be at this place where, come on girls, you believe in love, I got something to show you. that, and that's what for me turned it like okay there was the first time i cared about my body it was the first time i really cared about like everything had to be top notch and and she brought that she brought that energy to me
4: i loved it that you know the diet on i mean i always loved the private chefs and where they were into like the vegan diet and you love the uh, private you know, chefs darling. one time i tried to <laughs> I mean, what can i say i love the macrobiotic <laughs> food i used to on yeah. the last couple tours i did with her i had to like i had to like. Bag, you know, like her macrobiotic cook. I had to constantly be like, "You got any extra for me?" Because mm-hmm. it was so good, mm-hmm. you know. And I knew that's what I would need to like really keep me healthy on the tour, you know. I was like, "I'm down with this diet. Like, throw some extra my way," you know. Um, tried to. I tried to work out with her in the mornings a couple times, and it was just too much. Too much running for me. But that it always blew me away. That kind of discipline and everything, and. um I always wondered like, what's, what's her body going to be like, like when she's like doing this and, and running and everything. And, and, um, you know, in the future, cause I I'd grown up dancing and dance classes and I'd already seen a lot of my dancer friends ruin their knees, all kinds of things like that, you know, cause they would just do anything and they had to do anything for jobs. As the tours went on, you know we watched her like be so disciplined and be such an athlete and everything but we were we had to start we had to take care of our own bodies as well and we realized right. there were
3: certain things we couldn't do well for me because we didn't want to hurt ourselves yeah yeah i i know i mean and i'm looking back at it with a 62 year old mind now at that point in my 20s and my 30s and moving into my 40s i knew that the conversation i was having with myself about myself was changing and and mm-hmm. for my own mental health and for my own real health inside my heart health that I had to I had to relanguage what I was saying to myself about myself because I was literally I didn't get to grow up in this time period where booties and all that people are buying stuff that look like mine. You know, I didn't yeah. have that. And, you know, as adult women, Don and I have had to have that conversation now, whereas, like, I beat myself a lot up through through those years trying to make my body look like that way and be thinner. And it's like, no, I was a gymnast. I was a a dancer. I was thick. You know, I ran 440 relay and, and, and I had big thighs and it was what it was. But I was constantly trying to make my hips narrow. I want them narrow. I want my butt. I remember her making jokes about girls with big butts. And I was like, me, does that count of me too? You know, I was like, uh ah. um, she was saying something, I won't even say who the actress was, she said about her big butt. And I was like, and I knew my butt was three or four times bigger than hers. And I was like, well, I'm right next. I'm like, what about how it made me feel? And so a couple of years of doing that to myself, you know, and I knew once when the tours would in and we would just be in the studio, I was just a little bit more relaxed with myself, tried to be at least. So, but you by were, the time, you know, or six months before I knew we were about to tour again, I was, you know, all that conversation started again, all that beat myself up again, all, you know, and then once you have an injury, as you well know, Donna, it's just like my body, by, by the time you got into your 40, I was like, my my body was like, okay, we can't keep doing this. Either, you know, and I and I was never in in a physical state like girls who are having careers now are. You know, I look back at those pictures now and I was really kind of thin, actually, compared to what I am now. Or compared to what women are trying yeah. to make their bodies look like now. I'm like, they're buying things that I, my stuff was never that big. But once again, it's the conversation, you know. You know, I yeah. remember Nikki. I re I remember
4: when we had our first fittings, remember, we put on our disco pants or whatever. We stand there and Nikki would just be like. You know, and of course, and Madonna would be like, it's great, you know, and you're like, no, I don't look good in this, you know, it's like this is too tight and this is going out too much and and it must have been. I mean, I can only imagine being I mean, we're her and I are so tiny, you know, and you and but I do look at back at that stuff and the, those pictures and you look, I mean, you look incredible. You know how I feel mm-hmm.
3: about you. you I know how incredible. you feel. Thank you. you and know, trust me, and... if I could have heard her and and also you're you're on stage. I was starting, what's say I was starting to believe the world's height, you know, and forgetting that the conversation I have with myself is the most important. And she was saying to me you're fine. You look, even if she was saying mm-hmm. something about somebody else's fat to me, she was saying, you're beautiful. I like the way you look in that. She always said that to me, you know, even when she was yeah. saying, but I still want you to go get on the life cycle. I still want you to do this. She was like, I think your body's beautiful. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And I'm like, really, you know, but I couldn't hear her. I couldn't hear her inside because the world was saying, this is the kind of body type you need to have. You know, and it was one of the first times I'd lived in that kind of world. Because that's not the world I grew up in. The the body type I have now is the kind of body type that was sexy in my world. You know. But I was moving into a world where everybody wanted to be thin. Everybody was watching what they ate. Everybody it's like I live in Georgia now just because they love bread down here. But you know, I don't know. You know, it's I was just gonna say that my thing always every tour was the shoes.
4: Like I always had a problem. Well, they always thought I was her and I were the same like height and size. But your feet here and the feet like she was a seven and I'm an eight. And somehow all these shoes that got made by Dolce Gabbana and everyone were always one size too small for me. Mm -hmm. And I just remember those fittings. And I was like, and it's like, well, they already made the shoes. They're they're all made. They made three pairs. Like, what do you want to do? We, we can't, okay, we'll take them and stretch them. So I was always so insecure, like standing in those high shoes, because I felt like I was gonna like, you know, it was like Vogue, you know, ah! and it's so, I mean, I can relate to that. I felt insecure and, and Big body, little feet, little, shoes. little body, big feet. <laughs> the reality, right? Is-
3: yeah you know, it's, it's like so literally...
4: funny and and the challenges of people see us on stage and everything looks so perfect but the internal things that are going on people don't know and that's part of why we're good we're professionals and we're great performers it's like we didn't let that show
3: that's why it's called know, performing but... <laughs> that's why it's performing exactly. yeah and that's why i love that period that period of the you know express yourself period when she was into the suits and the men's shoes i was like That's the way to... That's how I want to dance it. Let's stay there.
1: Now, don't go away. All I want to tell you is please subscribe. Then you'll hear about the podcasts as they go online. So stay with us. There's more coming up with Donna DeLore and Nikki Harris on Madonna and much more. (laughs) What about when... when Madonna's always pushed the boat out. She's always... um, for her art she's always gone to the extreme direction and sometimes with amazing impact sometimes you have the feeling that it's just to make an over-the-top statement or whatever but really sometimes it's been about art and about what she wants to do but i'm sure there have been Mm -hmm. points where you've both said i'm not sure if i want to be part of this have there been points there and have you been able to stand up to her and be able to say, well, I'm not doing this.
3: What do you think, Steve? I'm sure we both have our stories. (laughs) What do you think? Are you looking for dirt, Steve? This sounds like you're I'm not looking
1: for dirt. I'm looking, no, no. I'm not looking for dirt because I mean, I love Madonna. So it's like, I haven't worked with her her closely and I'm absolutely certain because I've interviewed her and she's not bloody easy. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, there's no easy ride with Madonna. And I don't believe there's any easy Uh -uh. ride for anyone who works with Madonna. And that can be a good thing because she's a perfectionist. She wants it her way and completely her way. So my point is there is always going to be a point where she wants it her way. And you're saying, Hey, I, I think you mentioned to me years ago about like a prayer, you know, and that was a problem for you with your beliefs. And then-
3: wasn't it so well, much beliefs, wasn't, no, it, wasn't, wasn't, no, it wasn't it? Was belief. Of,
1: no, it was because it's Burning crosses. Pre- collapse, burning crosses, yes, that's right. It's and like it, a,
3: was, a danger thing. Yeah.
1: yeah and for so, me, it's just,
3: you know, I, I'm not dancing in front of, you know, the whole dance in
1: front of burning how crosses. Did she she take me. That? How did she take that when you say it? That's what I just wanted to know. Is no,
3: it, I think she was cool. I mean, you know, it, I don't think she was insulted because she still wanted me. You know, when we did music, she was pregnant, and she's like, call me up last and do do me a solid, come and come do this video for me. I was okay with sitting in front of hookers. I mean, you know, and, and and pole dancers, and I'm down with that. Um, I think we were having a moment. I mean, I I can clearly think of a moment for sure that Donna and I both went through. And it was the hair stuff. Mm-hmm. She wanted to cut our hair off, mm-hmm. and it was just like. And by then, we both had our own separate careers. I was still doing Snap and my own jazz stuff, and you know, and Madonna and Donna had her own stuff going on. It was with MCA, and she was like, "I can't cut my hair off. We're not shaving our our heads." Because remember, the first two, the first uh, tour was Donna and I and another girl. After that, it was just me and Donna, and we got used to having a certain kind of energy. It was me, Donna, and boys, just boys, and then. When we got to girly show, we finally had other female energy on stage with us, you know, Mm -hmm. and even that it was like when she told them to cut their hair off, Don and I were like, they doing this for the gig. It wasn't just cut hair. It wasn't just cut hair. It was shave
4: head.
3: It was shave head. It was a punk thing. Yeah, was like, and yeah. that was d- during Drowned World. We, we had did... watched it happen. We had watched it happen in Girly Show, where they shaved their heads. Right, right, then right, she, right, wanted, right. she wanted she wanted to do it again in in Drowned World. And by then, I was just like, you know, I was going into my forties. I'm like, I'm gonna shave my head. It's not gonna happen. And the I'm thing not is, gonna let you. The problem. The pro. Sorry. The, the problem is too that
4: it happens last minute. You don't. You're not prepared for it. You get the There was five days before the person we were going out comes in. in. Yeah. The person comes into the dressing room and they're like, um, and it's delivered through someone. Um, I'm supposed to come in here and cut all your hair off right now. That's what Madonna wants. It's like today, like, do I get to even process this and think about, you know, can I even, well, first of all, no. <laughs> yeah. And then that the decision, it just happens so fast, you know, I mean, to me, that's a really big deal as a, it well, I just know this is
3: when the big sister and me came, started coming through and where I was going to, look, I'm going to be the fall guy on this one. Because one, I wasn't cutting my hair off. Two, I knew there were other options. And when I saw Donna in, in the room crying, I was like, no, there's other ways we can do something with our hair that, that doesn't have, to, we don't have to do that. And that's where the Bantu knots came from. I was like, let me just do this to your head real fast. I'll show her. You can still get a cool punk look, but you don't have to cut somebody's hair off. And she wanted to cut mine into a mohawk. And I was like, how about we just move this back and my, and we'll put a fake mohawk on this? How about that? Because I'm not cutting my hair off for you. But this is the process of, you know, starting with somebody where they're becoming a superstar, being a superstar, watching the, the court, as I call it, the court, the Senate change. People Mm -hmm. are around Julius Caesar and they believe that they can talk to you as if they are Julius Caesar, where you've been in the court from back here. Like, you don't get to talk to me that way. You don't get to come in the room and make Donna cry. I was like, no, this is not, we're gonna fix her hair and we're gonna make it happen. And if Madonna wanna fire me, we got five days before we leave and she ain't gonna fire me. So be mad at me if you want to, whatever. That's where I was with it because it was handled poorly. And I think even Madonna would probably say to this point, she might say it to herself. She might not say it to anybody. Who knows? The bottom line from me. And by then, what I say again, what you can do at 22 to, to me or to us is different than what you can do to me at 42. And what somebody uh-huh. can say to you at 22 and how they talk to you at 22 is different than how they can talk to you when you're 42. I mean, it's just, And if it's not, then is wrong with you. Because I'm like, I'm standing there, and I'm like, wait a minute. As far as I was concerned, by then, Don and I had proven what an asset we are. So don't come in my room five days uh-huh. before about to leave and tell me I'm cutting my fucking hair off. Now you got me mad a little bit. Like I laughed too. Anyway, yeah, that was a, yeah, that was
4: a tense, that was a tense it was moment. was very tense. And it was just one of those, like, there's no... I would say, like, can we talk? Can we get together and talk about? It? There was no negotiating that kind of a thing. Right. And so Nikki really saved the day on that. And I remember you're like, I didn't care how hard she pulled my hair. It was like just make it. And she's like, and I was, at first I was like, ow! And then she's like, I'm telling you, this is gonna work. And it was brilliant. It and did. It worked amazing. And thank God um, she liked and, it. You know, and we would we would try be there for each other supporting and, and me with you with the costumes too, you know. Well, because we knew the shift, uh, we
3: knew sh- to the shift was changing, you know, at two yeah. Brutus, there was a lot of little Brutuses and Caligulas moving into the Senate who were vying to get near Caesar. And it was just like, I wasn't used to that. I had never been a part of that. I'm a very in your face, very direct. When I want to say something Madonna, we mm-hmm. said it to her. Now we had all these obstacles we had to get through. It just was a different way of being, a way of being. And because I was getting older and I knew these were real relationships. I'd laid in the bed with her, watched her go through I don't know, you know, through a divorce and have breakups and cry and that you know, it's like now I can't talk to her? N- because you said it, I don't even know who you are. You knew you knew here, you telling me what I can and cannot. Eh, and I'm now I'm I'm looking at you side eye now. I'm looking at I'm looking at this whole situation side eye. So and Like I said, for me, when I could feel my heart shifting in, do I want to be here? Like, if you're not going to talk to me and you're not going to be that way, be respectful to me for all that Mm -hmm. we've given to this situation, then either you and I need to talk or then we need to chill out for a minute. And when I saw tears and I was part of the, because of that, that was part of my issue. I was starting to be nasty because I was feeling, I was being nasty to Donna. I was like, a lot of stuff was starting to make me feel. I was like, I'm, it's like, y'all want to be nasty to me? I I come from nasty. <laughs> do you think you're nasty? I'm from the hood. No, I'm not to be nasty too. But when I started being nasty to people who I really love, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. That's not who I'm trying to be. Not. It's And so I knew that things were shifting for me. <laughs> you know?
1: So I just want to ask the that, final question about Madonna, because what do you think Madonna, for both of you, this is, what do you think Madonna learned from you?
3: Um,
1: You went quiet, Nikki, I can't believe it.
3: Think, no, 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 because I'm no, trying to give Donna no, some space, because I, I know
0: okay. I
4: can talk. I think that we love, we love to sing, and Nikki and I love to sing. We love to sing together. Mm-hmm. And I think that influence of singing a song and having fun. Mm -hmm. And um, those times that we could also just perform together and be funny and play on stage with
3: each other. Yep. Um, I think that's what Madonna, I don't even know if she learned that from us, but I think that's what she will will always remember with us. Cause this celebration tour that she's doing right now is exactly what she and I and Donna would do together. Sing along. That's all this is, is just a big sing along that she's doing you know, from not even yeah. songs that are her own. She just wants to sing along. lot. Well, she wants some people singing with her. And that's what Don and I brought with her. She knew anytime she sang with us, whatever she was singing was going to sound good. Really good. Mm-hmm. She knew no that matter whatever, what, yeah. no matter what she knew that any song she brought to us, we could take it to another level vocally. She knew that she trusted mm-hmm. us, that we could add a part or try this. And she knew that we knew the flavor that she needed. That's what I believe we brought to her. And I think we brought to her believing that she could sing. Because I remember mm-hmm, she would say to exactly. me, it's not that important if you don't sing good. You know, there's so much more to being pop star than being a, than being a sing. I think she wanted to sing good. I think that's what, what she enjoyed
4: singing. with us. Singing in a group and really feeling part mm-hmm. of that, feeling mm-hmm. part of that energy with that around you and it's not just about your voice. Now no. it's about a blend. Mm-hmm. No, blend. I mean, I'm
3: hearing her. I remember, after, and then when she started, when she did Avita, it's like feeling it like, oh, this is where my voice could take go to. I can try this. Mm-hmm. And I think watching you play your instrument, you know, on the, on the bus and people gathering around you, you know, I think part of that was like, oh yeah, I want to play an instrument too. You know, it's like, there's something when you play an instrument and sing. Maybe mm-hmm. all of that just the influence of like taking another step, taking another step. I think she wanted to dance like a black girl. <laughs> That's you mm-hmm. know, she wanted to dance, she yeah. wanted to dance like something. So what I don't know it was me that thought it. I don't know if it was me, I won't take that credit, but I know it was my culture. It was definitely mm-hmm. my culture that she was influenced by. So what did we bring to her? A whole hell of a lot. And and ditto, and and vice versa. She brought us a lot too. So You know, I think like so many great systems, sometimes there's different cogs that come in and will mess it up and change the the vibe of the machine. You know, it's like you put the wrong screw in somewhere and it's like all of a sudden the machine is just going a little bit different Mm -hmm. than it used to go. I think she knows it and I know it. we could get back on the stage tomorrow and it would be amazing. It would be amazing if we just do what we do. And that's why she's doing, I think that's why she's doing what she is left. She don't want no pressure. Let them dancers dance all around her. She just get out there and just sing her song. And that's what we brought to to Madonna. She knew she was safe and just have a good time.
1: That's what it is
4: too. It's that joy in the moment, trusting, just being in the moment, and the joy Mm -hmm. and the playfulness. Mm
1: -hmm. And I
4: remember, like Nikki, you would crack her up so hard, and just being being able to trust that, and being able to sometimes once in a while get out of that structure and just play. Mm -hmm. That was super fun. I saw her learn.
1: I just want to ask because both of you have had also um, very successful solo careers. And well, you have, you're that's looking sweet at me, of you. Maybe. Well, no, no, me- I'm like,
3: that's sweet of you to think. No, I'm like, very successful. Solo well, a lot of, a lot of well, people, you are, well, know okay, also, you
1: haven't had Madonna's career exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no you haven't had it. Madonna's career clearly, but not many people. No, <laughs> you know? I,
3: and I will say, too, knock on wood for Madonna because I'm letting you know, I know there's certain probably certain doors that would not have been open for me had it not been for Madonna. Had it not been for that influence. Of course. So knock, 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 knock on that. On yeah, Thank you very much for that. Same mm-hmm. for my father. I know there's certain doors that are opening for me or there's a, a, a form of respect that happens with, even with Donna, the Nikki and Donna show. I know people, those fans are hardcore fans of ours because of what we did with Madonna too. They love us, but they, we always have to put a little bit of that into the show because that's, you know, that's like the salt and pepper that they grew up with, you know, they've got, they've oh, got a to big, have a little of that thing. thing. Yeah. They've got, you know, I was just get-
4: flying. No, I was saying that th- this man was at the window and I was on the aisle and he recognized me and he just ended up, it was that same story, Nikki, that, that you know, he was a young, he was um, Jewish, Iranian mm-hmm. and as a boy growing up, you know, after seeing the movie and what, what it meant to him. I mean, he just was like, you know, tears in oh, his yeah. eyes
3: and. And to meet a 50 emotional. year old gay man, a 50 year old gay man who comes up to me, you know, in airports and they're like, or, or I cannot go to Atlanta airport. First of all, because any black gay boy is like coming up to me going. I, want you. I, I was Nikki. So they, they knew all the choreography. Exactly. Like, I'm, like, you can, I'm like, even I don't remember that choreography. You're a 50-year-old gay man. Don't do that no more. Why are you still knowing this shit? <laughs> but they were like, no, because I'm, I had this, my friend and, she, and he was Donna and I was you. I was always you. And so I just want you to know what you meant to me. And I'm like, hey, that's because of her. You know, that's because of her that she gave yeah. us that platform, that she provided that platform for us. And I'm, I am I am forever grateful yeah the fact that the yeah, fact I mean to have... that we still get phone calls that you know once again as long as I want to say my joke my joke though now you know is like her you know I never I never really wanted to be a, a, a pop star as I say or superstar that was never mm-hmm. any driving force for me because her thing was like oh what do you want to do Nikki you just want to you know want to play at parties for the rest of your life and I think to myself now but that was her she was in her 20s when she said that to me so yeah. now I'm like I'm like, yeah, that's all I want to do. I just want to play at parties for the rest of my life. And because I'm, that's
4: all, and I'm that's proud all we to really do. That. Is,
3: yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I just want to play at parties for the rest. You can have a really big party with a whole lot of people. I just want a few people. I just, I like playing at parties. You know, I'm good old Judy Garland. So do I just want <laughs> to sing around the piano. I just want to put on a show. That You know, that, that yeah. yeah. Just, and I'm grateful that we, you and I, still get to put on shows together because that's what's what's really and fun to do. we can
4: always. And because of what we've done together, our history, but also because of our, our you know, just this talent that we have together and what, what we can do together, we, we can play at any part we want to play at, you know, we can always have that. And that's that beautiful, like, I see us in the, you know, now and in the future, always being able to sustain this and, and Nikki and I aren't so, you know, conditional about what we're doing. You know, right. we're going to have a great time. We're going to get so much out of it. We're playing New York next month. And whether 50 mm-hmm. people show up or 100 or 200 or whatever, we're going to be, I mean, we want to pay the band, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and our expenses, of course. But like, right. we just love to sing together, right. you know, and that is just pure joy and gratitude. And that's and we the great love thing about singing.
3: Singing in spiritual yeah. communities, communities where you you that, never know gonna who's going to show up. But when you learn that you're just singing spiritual music and it's like you don't know if the people out there believe in what you believe, it doesn't matter. It's just about opening the heart space up. When you do those kind of gigs long enough, you go, it's not about who, it's, it's not about who's out there. It's about what's in here. It's like where you stay there. So any gig, anytime you get to sing Corner, Bookshop, that is the gift yeah. the gift is already that's already there it's like what grandmama say this is a lot of mine i gotta let it shine you know and so exactly. i'm so grateful that i get to shine it with you it's like we get to do that together january 26th and 27th uh no 27th and 28th at the green room in new yeah. york city please 2024 be there and then seattle i forgot the room in seattle we'll have to get those dates to you steve we'll get those
1: I mean, you said this. Um, you got to get those dates to me. You said oh, this yeah. at the beginning that it's that it's success is not about success. Success is yeah. actually being able to continue to do what you love, isn't it?
4: Honey, well, to first and foremost to be in good health and to be able to wake up every day, you know, and to be here first and foremost. And then every time I show up at my gig from traveling, I'm sure Nikki feels the same way. That, that we can, you know, we're sipping our tea, we're taking care of ourselves. That we can sing. That we have these instruments that that work. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean that right there. But just the gratitude, the deep, deep gratitude. I have just,
3: I, I yeah. Go there's a great every day. Yeah, there's a great spiritual. Um, his eyes on the sparrow. On the sparrow, it's a, it's called his eyes mm-hmm. on the sparrow. So I know he watches me. But the basic mm-hmm. part of the song is, and I say it and you know, people, why what, what, do you like what you do? I'm like, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm mm-hmm. free. His eyes on the sparrow. So I know he watches me. So I know my source is bigger than anything that I'm doing right now. I'm just here to sing. I'm singing. Cause I'm happy. I'm singing. Cause I'm free. I'm free to do this with you, Donna. And thank you, Madonna for bringing us together in that respect. I do. I, I'm so grateful. And it's, it really is exciting to see her singing in a way that she's just bringing the whole audience in. It's not just a show for her on this particular tour. Watching her do that and knowing that she's having a good time, it's nice to watch.
4: I see that footage of like and there's nothing even, like nothing like seeing people that happy, you know, oh,
3: for sure. Or I watched the other day. Watch I watched Cher and Darlene Love singing. You know, all those, oh my all gosh. The, it was so great to watch them. They, you know, they were, um, singing Christmas songs, but I know these are mm. women who are far more or, older than I, but they were just so happy just to sing together, you know, they were just loving each other up. And it was like, there's nothing like it once again, because that's what we all want community and you know, acknowledgement to be heard, to hear our stories, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah.
1: Well, I'm not the 50-year-old gay man, I'm the sixty-four-year-old gay man. And I think if I was in Atlanta <laughs> and I bumped into both of you, I'd also You freak better out. not
3: start voguing. Just don't start voguing. That's all. Like if I gotta I, see I, those dance moves one more
1: time. I, I couldn't bogue at twenty, let alone. Nothing like more.
3: nothing like your waitress coming to you like this. (laughs) just put the club knowing the
1: moves (laughs) listen I've thoroughly enjoyed this it's been so great to see you both looking so wonderfully young and healthy and full of life and energetic and still doing what you want to do which is brilliant I mean it really is brilliant and you have both contributed massively to pop culture and I think it's really important that I want to say from my heart thank Mm. you because it's a contribution that is of value and has been of value in my life, so I wish you whatever success means. I wish you much of it in the future, and I wish you good health. At our age, day. it's just
3: inhaling and exhaling. I just want to inhale. Exactly. And exhale. <laughs> that's success for me. That's a, day. Day. Right. Yeah. that's a great day. Right. That's the. That's a great. Yeah. When you're on this side of the dirt, that's a great day. <laughs>
1: Up there is an interview I recommend. Down there is where you can find all the podcast interviews. And here is where you can connect.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mother's Day is just around the corner,
0: and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. And what better way than with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited-edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial set has everything she needs to achieve spa level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day Made Easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site wide with code MOM at Oseamalibu.com. That's O S E A Malibu.com code MOM.